Rishon. I think he's suffering from depression. Rishon. Okay, when's the shunning thing gonna end? Unshun. Never. Rishon. All right, so things are about, wow, loud. Uh, things are about to get real personal real quick. Uh, my grandparents met in a mental institution. True story. Uh, my grandfather was born and raised Amish, so we can show clips like that all day without offending me or anyone else because I'm the one who green-lighted it. And uh, he was a conscientious objector to the Korean War, so instead of going to serve two years in the military, he went to serve two years at a mental institution, which is where he met my grandma. There's more backstory. Uh, she was dating another guy at the time, needed a ride home from work. So Grandpa, who was Amish at the time, uh, gave her a ride home on his motorcycle, which also begs some questions, because Amish means no phones, no lights, no motor cars. How do you have a motorcycle if you're Amish? But when your grandparents meet in the funny farm, you kind of stop asking questions. And, and when my grandpa got married to my grandma, who was not Amish, uh, there was some stuff that happened within their Amish community. He's the youngest of three boys in his family, and the two older ones had both married non-Amish uh, women that year. So when uh, the oldest brother, Daniel, got married, the family got like a six-month ban from the community. They were shunned for six months. When his younger brother, Joe, got married, same thing. Or when the next youngest, Joe, got married, same thing, six months. So when my grandpa, Jake, got married, they threw the Amish book at them and banned the family for a year. And so today we're talking about church discipline. We're talking about how God blesses the church that actually uh, takes care of itself spiritually, that cleans up after itself. What we're calling it today is accountability and, and discipline. And we can look at stuff like this. We can look at the whole idea of shunning and poke fun at it because there are a lot of bad things that come with it. Okay, the, the being slapped with silence, like what Dwight, Dwight talked about, that's not the Christian approach to dealing with situations like this. It's just flat out not it. Uh, and what we're going to look at today is Jesus' approach to this. Because any organization that you're ever going to be part of in any way has rules to it. In, in the situation in the show, in the situation with my grandpa, there were rules that got broken, and so there had to be accountability that followed the rules that got broken. Every area of life that we have any type of organization around, there are rules. Say, for example, that you are in a motorcycle gang, all right? There are rules that go along with being in that gang. I'm guessing one of them is not it's allowed to drive a Prius, right? You can't really do both of those at the same time. There are rules. If you're in a motorcycle gang, you generally drive a motorcycle, hence the name. Also, if you are a Fortune 500 CEO, all right, you have a lot of rules that go along with your life. One of those is you are not allowed to own a fidget spinner, all right? That's just flat out not allowed. If you have a job, you shouldn't have a fidget spinner. If you have a girlfriend, same thing. If you vote, you probably shouldn't have a fidget spinner. You can throw it out on the way out uh, for the glory of God. But everything that has any structure to it has a sense of accountability and discipline in it. And I want to talk about those two words because Jesus' approach to the church that blesses itself through, or the church that God blesses as it takes care of itself through accountability and discipline has a completely different approach to those two words than I do. Accountability. That means somebody is going to make you feel bad for doing something bad so next time you do it good. Right? That, that's just the, the definition that's stuck in my head. And somebody needs to hold them accountable. It means somebody needs to chew them out. Jesus says, no, 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 it's different than that. Discipline. We get this picture of an angry God that is going to whack you if you ever mess up. He's got a human-sized 
fly swatter up in heaven, and as soon as you step out of line, bam, you get disciplined. Jesus says, no, 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 it's not at all like that. It's something better. It's something different. It's something redemptive. And so we're going to be in Matthew 18 today. We're going to look at what Jesus says about accountability and discipline and Jesus' system for it, which gives us a completely different approach to it. We'll start reading uh, verse 15. He says this. He says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the, the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. And Jesus has five things that, that are demonstrated in his system of accountability and discipline. And the first one of those is that Jesus' system acknowledges the danger of sin. It shows us the danger of sin. I love his clarity in here. That there's, he's not just saying if somebody hurts you, if you get offended, if, if something happens that you don't like. He says, verse 15, if another believer sins against you. I think that word there is placed very intentionally. And, and the, the depth of it, the severity of it, is something that we just gloss over. It's sin. We kind of dramatize sin. We laugh at sin. We name cities based on sin. The Vegas is sin city. And we don't understand the depth of it. For all of us, we begin our relationship with God by acknowledging the fact, clear first and foremost, that we are sinners. That we are separated from God because of our sin. And that our sin is what sent Jesus to earth on our behalf. It's what sent Jesus to the cross to give his perfect life for our imperfect life. So that he will bear our punishment, bear our penalties, and we can have his righteousness. It is the great exchange. It is the end of fairness with God because God looks at us who deserved to be separated and cast away from God and instead draws us near to God because of the work of God's Son on the cross. For us to be Christians mean that we acknowledge not only the fact that we are sinners, but the damage that sin has had on our lives. But we don't work toward perfection. We don't work our way toward God. We don't say, okay, there's where God is. I'm going to work my way to him. No, a guy who used to do all of that and understood what it meant very clearly and then found out that he wasn't working his way to God. He was working his way away from God. A guy named Paul says this about that whole struggle. He said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. None of, so none of us can boast about it. He's saying for us, for our relationship with God, we don't work our way away from sin. We ask Jesus to come in and rescue us in the middle of our sin and take us from where we are and change us into the people that he created us to be. We don't work it. We let God in to work our lives through us. We don't get a relationship with God by our works, but faith that actually works is never apart from works. We live out the good things that God has done in our lives, the good things that God has done for us in the person of Jesus. We live that out. If you say you are a Christian here, that means that God has forgiven your sins. That means that you didn't do anything for it, me included. We didn't do anything for it. God came in and mercifully rescued us from ourselves, and then he empowers us to live a new life. There's a standard of expectation, a standard of behavior that follows us as Christians. 
because we're no longer lifting up our own name. I'm no longer lifting up the last name Wilkinson. I'm saying I've been bought, set free, and remade by Jesus. And so now his life is seen through me. When we bought our first house, there were a bunch of ugly yucca trees like around the perimeter of it. They were all ugly. And uh, I met one of my neighbors, told him I'm a pastor, this and that. And so one day, I'm trying to take this thing out. I'm chopping it with an axe. I'm beating on it. I put a car jack in it and started opening the jack to break the stump. And, and he comes over. And he's like, you really hate that tree. I'm like, yes, I do. He said, you're really trying to destroy it. And I don't think that pastors are supposed to destroy things. He wasn't a Christian, so I guess he's making a joke. But there's an expectation in his mind that if I'm a pastor, if I'm going to preach from the word of God, I'm, if I'm going to talk about the lamb of God, then I'm going to be soft like lamb wool. That's in his mind. So he's really old, and I asked him, okay, if I'm not supposed to do it, then do you want to do it? And he walked inside. The last part of that might have just been put in for the joke. But there's an expectation. There's a standard. This is the way that you're supposed to live. And for us as Christians, this idea that we have been bought by the sinless, spotless love of God that covers all of our sins, that covers all of our blemishes, doesn't just leave us to figure out life on our own. It empowers us and it calls us to living a new life that puts God above all else. Jesus says there is danger in sin and we agree with that. We live that out by the way that we live. So he continues, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Second thing that Jesus' system of accountability and discipline shows us is that he has power to change lives. It shows us God's power to change lives. What happens in the story? One person sins against another person. And so the, the victim goes to the offender and says, you know what, what you did hurt me. And the person says, I'm sorry. You know, I, I did something that was hurtful. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry. This is a changed life because this isn't how people normally react. This is different. This is the way that God impacts us to live life differently. And, and the church is supposed to be a house of changed lives. I love that. If we're going to do anything in our community as a church, it's going to be because we are empowered by God to go out and, and show the fact that our lives have been completely and radically transformed by the love of God. The one thing that the unbelieving world that is around us does not need more of is another carbon copy of itself that lives the same way, that acts the same way, that reacts to hurt and heartache the same way, but has a cross necklace around them. That's what we don't need. What is going to proclaim and celebrate and give life to the mission of God and the power of God is a church full of lives that have been changed by God. That's what's going to make things different. And this system of accountability and discipline begins to bring that out that there's a god that loves us there's a god that remakes us there's a god that brings freedom to us not just so that we can sit in our own comfortable lives and barely change things but so that we can live new lives because we've been bought and set free by god he bought our sin on the cross and then empowers us and gives us a new way to live through the holy spirit god has the power to change lives the world needs something to chase. They need a building and an organization called a church full of changed lives where they can look at them and say, that's what I want. That's what I want to be like. I'm against 99% of diets because I don't want to be recreationally miserable. 
There's one that I've done with Anna, and I actually love it. It's the Whole30 diet. It means that you cut out sugar, you cut out dairy, you cut out fun, you cut out enjoying life, and you cut out bread. There are five things. One thing you don't cut out is meat. So I know as I'm suffering through eating a bag of almonds every day for lunch, I know that when I get home that night, I get a steak as big as my face to eat for dinner. And that is a great thing. I make it through the rest of the day knowing that there is steak that Jesus created and then slaughtered and put on my plate for me to enjoy. There's something to look forward to. For us, we don't do church because we feel bad for the other six and a half days of our lives. We do church because we know that there's a God who loves us, who makes our lives better through the presence of his Holy Spirit in us and then teaches us how to be better at life because God changes lives and God sets us free. And that's the witness that we need to proclaim to the world around us who doesn't yet know Jesus, is that God changes lives. And so what Jesus is talking about here in his whole system of accountability and discipline is that I'm going to change lives. You live life my way and you're going to change and people around you are going to change as you invest in them and pour your life into them. Third thing it shows us, Jesus' discipline of accountability, Jesus' system of accountability and discipline shows us God is the master of repairing relationships. Verse 16, if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And Jesus starts the reconciliation process with us. Everything that we talk about, everything that we are as Christians comes back to the cross. That's where Jesus didn't wait for us to have our stuff together, but he came and he died and he rose again so that we would have freedom in Jesus, so that we would live a life free from the penalty and the damage and the curse of sin. He started the, rep- the repairs, he started the reclamation progress process long before we did. And by reconciling us to himself, God also reconciles us to the church. For anyone who is a Christian, anyone who has asked God to come into their life, to make them into a new person, they have an invitation to any Bible-believing, God-glorifying, Jesus-loving, and worshiping church on the planet. We're welcomed into a community by asking Jesus into our heart. And what he's saying is you, as that community, your lives should model after me. And when they're not, that's where we press into Jesus. This system of accountability and discipline that he's talking about here is all about going out and making relationships that were wrong right again. And every time we hear that, every time we think, God, that's bad. You really know what you're asking me to do. Do you really know how hard this situation is? Do you really know how much brokenness there is there? Do you really know that's where we say yes to God running our lives and not us running them anymore? That's where we say, Holy Spirit, I want you to come in. I want you to run my heart. I want you to make me somebody who craves reconciliation and doesn't crave vengeance. I want you to give me new behavior. I want you to give me a new way to live. You've taken my sin. You've taken my old life. It is gone, and I have you now. And part of that is you empowering me and you pushing me out in new behavior to follow you. And we feel like as God, when we feel like God is leading us into repairing a relationship that is hard, that is hurtful, that has hurt us, That's where we press in equally hard to God, asking him to give us strength, to give us the new abilities and new behaviors to follow what he's leading us in. Because he's the master of repairing relationships. 
And in the church, as we've been made right with God, God creates us to be made right with each other. Like you look around, there's a lot of people who might sit on the other side of the room, or maybe there's one of those first service people that you have no clue who they are. But you're part of the same church. You are together. You're the same church family. Part of being the worship or the high school pastor at Mountain View for 13 years has been watching students grow up and get jobs and be all around the city or the state or whatever. And literally, I go and I see people everywhere. Uh, I was at Osh on Wednesday night with Anna, or on Thursday night with Anna, and uh, we were getting ladybugs for the garden. And we're walking to pay, and there's a former student who's just doing his Osh thing. He's working there. He's got his name tag on. He says, Chris. Uh, and so I walk up, shake his hand. Hey, Ortiz, how you doing? He's good. I'm good. Everything's great. And I'm the guy, you might be like this also, but I don't always remember who I've introduced Anna to. So if I've introduced my wife Anna to you seven times, just join the club. Smile, nod. She knows. You know. I'm clueless. Um, but I hadn't introduced her to Chris. And so at the end of the conversation, Anna says she's Anna, and he says he's Chris. They smile and shake hands. It's not your typical, this is my first time ever meeting you, stranger kid. There, there's a familiarity there. Anna knows that I'm good with Chris. Chris knows that I'm good with Anna. So they can smile. They can shake hands. They can know that they're already good together. For us as Christians, you are already part of the church. If you have let Jesus into your life, you're part of the church. And Jesus is saying, I want you two to work together, even if there are people around you that you have no clue who they are. I'm going to create relationships, and when they get broken, I'm going to repair them because God is the master of repairing relationships. Man, does that mean that we need to go back to every relationship we've ever been in, even if it's been abusive? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We forgive, and sometimes we forgive and call the cops. We put things in place to protect us, let our hearts be at peace, and sometimes put up physical barriers to keep the rest of us at peace. And the church should be the thing that's at the front line protecting those who need advocates and those who need protection. So God is the repairer of all relationships. Sometimes that means we repair and build a fence. But most of the time it means that we repair and we, we continue fellowship, especially within the church. Fourthly, Jesus' system of accountability and discipline shows us his work through spiritual leaders. I just want to touch on this real quickly. Uh, it's a big deal about the church here. Verse 17, the, the person couldn't get it right one-on-one. -on -one. They can't get it right with a group of four and now they take it to the church. And for us here at Mountain View Sunnyside, we're led under the larger Mountain View umbrella by a team of pastors who's overseen and, and watched by, encouragingly watched, not like CIA watched, uh, but watched in a good way by a team of elders, volunteers who love the church and pour into the church and give their lives for the church. And they're the ones who do a lot of the heavy lifting on this. When there's stuff that can't come peacefully between two people being nice and civilized together if it needs to go higher it goes to them and there are people who have been vetted people who have been uh like watched a maturation process happen in their hearts and so when stuff like this comes to the church it's not just coming to whoever wants to volunteer and handle your life crisis that day it's people who actually love you care about you and will give you godly counsel so when it talks about the church we know that at this point in the third step of reconciliation it's pretty dang serious and so we treat it that way also. We know it's serious, and we want to see God do good things. Fifthly, Jesus' system of accountability and discipline shows us protection and care for God's church, which never gives up on anyone. I think what he's talking about here, if 
if the two parties can't even acknowledge what the church is saying, that then one person needs to be needs to be kicked out, needs to be separated for a period of time and, and treated like a pagan or a tax collector. I think that acknowledges two things. One is the sad reality that there are going to be people who walk away from Jesus. There would be people in our room, in our community, in our relationships that we ourselves pour into or are poured into from who have taught us what it means to follow Jesus and taught us what it means uh, to love him and honor him. There are going to be people all the time, as long as we live, as long as we do church, that decide, I don't want to do this anymore. And they leave. And instead of lowering the standards of what it means to be a Christian, sometimes we need as a church to, to have the tough conversations and saying your life does no longer line up with what we believe a Christian life looks like. And so that means there's a restriction to leadership sometimes. There's, there's a restriction to things that people can do. And the reason we do this isn't to be punitive, isn't to have a tight fist and, and say this is a holy huddle club, but it's to elevate the gospel of Jesus that doesn't just save us so that we can live life the way that we want to live, but it saves us and it empowers us to live the way that God created us to live. To live the way that God tells us to live. To live a life like Jesus lived. And that means dying to ourselves. That means no longer doing the things that we would want to do, but taking on Jesus' life for us. Because again, he doesn't just forgive us and then send us on our way to do life the way that we want to. But he empowers us, calls us into a lifetime of obedience and obedience to Jesus, not to ourselves. And that means that when that's not happening, sometimes the best thing to, to do is to put some distance between us and people who aren't living the way that Jesus would have us live because it continues to make the church something that's different from the world. And that's not always a bad thing. We need to be different. If we aren't different, we look like the rest of the world with a cross around our neck. And that is useless. We need to preserve our distinctives. We need to preserve our difference from the world. I think the encouraging part in this, the second thing that this verse shows us is the two words that Matthew chooses at the end uh, that he writes down that Jesus said about how we're supposed to treat people. He says, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. I think our first... Our first idea is to read those words and think those are two, like, all-star levels of sinners in the Bible. If you are a pagan, you are really bad. And if you are a tax collector, you are even worse above that. But the thing that gets me every time, the thing that gives me hope as a pastor, as a person, is that Matthew, the guy who's writing this down as Jesus says it, was a tax collector. And so he says, treat him like a tax collector. I think in the back of Matthew's head, he's saying, you know what that means? That means that you chase after them. That means that when you as a Christian see somebody else who calls himself a Christian and is living a way that is completely unlike the way that Jesus would live, you go after them. And you don't go after them with a bullhorn because Jesus didn't walk up to Matthew with a bullhorn and say, hey, sinner, come follow me. Leave your trash life. He went up to him said, I want you to follow me. Jesus invites, or Matthew invites Jesus to a party at his house with all of his sinner friends. And Jesus goes, and Jesus is encouraging at the party. And people find out that there's actually love in Jesus. Jesus never lets him go back to his old way of life. He says, I want you to leave your old way of life, and I want you to follow me. So Matthew writes down, treat him like a tax collector. And he's writing that down as a tax collector, as someone who is showing the merciful love of God, the love of God that never gives up, 
the love of God that takes us at our worst, sin included, and binds us together to be an organization, to be a church that's going to look different from the world for the glory of God, to give the world something to chase after for all eternity. That's what I want us to become. That's what I want Mountain View Sunnyside to become, is a group of people who doesn't think they're better than anyone else, but who knows equally as much as we can how much we've been saved from and how much we've been saved for. That the church is supposed to be the, the thing that goes after people who are far from God and invites them, whether or not they've already been Christians and decided to walk away, invites them back into the relationship with God. The God who loves them, the God who forgives them, and the God who empowers them for a totally new way of life. Let's stand and pray. Father God, I thank you that you're alive. I thank you that your power for us is new every day. I thank you that you are not a God that forgives us and leaves us, but that you're a God that forgives us and empowers us to live the life that you created us for. To follow you in the way that we parent, in the way that we spend money, in the way that we treat relationships, in the way that we treat people. If you're here today with decision to ask Jesus to come in your life, to ask him to forgive you of your sins, to ask him to change you into a new person from the inside of you to the outside of you. I'm going to give you that chance today. You're not saying you're